morning, church. I want to welcome you today and say happy Father's Day to all of you dads. We're so glad that you're here with us today uh, to worship with us on this Father's Day. I hope your day is blessed. Uh, I know it's about to get a lot better because I've asked my good friend John Wheeler uh, to speak to you and to share the gospel with you today. He is a great dad, a great granddad, and a great man of God. Uh, so I want you to put your hands together and welcome our friend John Wheeler uh, to the stage. Good morning, and let me say, if there are some empty seats in your row, would you move in and leave seats open on the aisle? We've got lots of folks trying to get in, so if you could help with that and let them have a place uh, in your row. It had been an unforgettable day. The night would be equally unforgettable. A massive crowd had come looking for Jesus. Scripture says there were about 5,000 men. Uh, think of this room, picture this room with every seat filled. Multiply that by four. That's about 5,000. That's how many men were there. That's not counting women and children because even though women and children were there, they didn't count them. So we don't really know the total number of people who had gathered that day, what we do know is they were all hungry. And there was nowhere close to get food. There, there wasn't a store, not even a Walmart, there was nothing. Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, comes to him and he says, there's a boy here who's got his lunch. Now, the lunch was five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Now, when you hear loaves of bread, don't think what you would buy in the grocery store. We're talking something the size of a biscuit. So, five biscuits. The word for fish means pickled fish. So, think sardine. So, the, the lunch is a, a few biscuits and a couple of sardines. Not sure what Andrew's thinking. In fact, he goes on to say, we've got these, but how far will they go among so many? Turns out they go far enough once they're in Jesus' hands. Jesus has the disciples get the people all seated, and then he gives thanks for that handful of food, distributes it to the disciples, and they start handing out fish and chips to everybody there. Everyone has all they want to eat. They're all fully satisfied, and there are leftovers. They gathered 12 baskets filled with what was left over from a handful of biscuits. People see what's happened, and they start talking among themselves. Jesus can do this kind of stuff? Didn't know that. Let's make him king. Jesus hadn't come to be that kind of king. And so he takes countermeasures. He gets the disciples into a boat and sends them off across the Sea of Galilee while he withdraws and goes up on a mountain overlooking the sea and prays. That brings us to John's account of the experience in John chapter 6. We read this about what happens next. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So, Jesus is up on the mountain. They are out on the water. 
Verse 18 tells us, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. They're not high mountains, but they are mountains. And the crevices between the mountains work like wind tunnels. And the wind whips around those mountains and just funnels right down onto the water. And that's why the Sea of Galilee can very quickly go from calm to violent, which is what happens here. A storm erupts. And uh, we know, of course, some of these disciples are fishermen by trade. They have they've spent their lives literally out there on that very body of water. This is their world. They've been in storms. But rarely, if ever, one quite like this. Uh, Matthew, in his account, tells us that what's about to happen occurs at the fourth watch of the night, which gives us some important information. That would be about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. They got into the boat and launched out across the lake around 6 o'clock the previous evening. So that means they've been out there something like nine hours, and they have managed to, to go about three miles. That's, that's a mile every three hours because of the intensity of this storm. Now, they're getting pounded by the storm. They are drenched. They're soaking wet. They're exhausted from the effort, and they're wondering if they're going to make it. Verse 19. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified, which probably any of us would have been as well. I mean, put yourself in their place. They, they are fighting this storm. They are exhausted from the effort. They're hanging on to the boat for dear life. They're not sure they're going to make it. It is dark. The wind is, is ferocious. The waves are huge. And maybe with a, a flash of lightning, they catch a glimpse of a figure that, is, that seems to be out there on the water. They don't know it's Jesus. They just see a figure that is moving in their direction. And Matthew and Mark tell us that, in all honesty, the disciples thought this was a ghost. So things had gone from bad to worse. Already a storm that was about to sink them, and now they think there's a ghost out there. And so they are in terror. We understand. Look at verse 20. Jesus, out there on the water, says to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. I'm sure he said it much more loudly than that, to be heard over the roar of the storm. John goes on to say, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. But just so we get all of the story, there's something else that happens between verse 20 and verse 21. John doesn't mention it. But that's where Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if that is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, Come. And Peter starts crawling over the side of the boat. The disciple, other disciples are probably thinking, get back in the boat. What do you think you're doing? He's not listening to them. He's over the side of the boat, down 
and he steps onto the water and takes a step or two or three. We don't know how many steps he takes before he realizes exactly where he is. And he looks around and he sees the waves and fear takes over. And he's going down fast when Jesus grabs him, lifts him back up, and they walk together, which is really good that Jesus didn't just drag him through the water, you know, gulping water. <laughs> he lifted him up, and they walked together to the boat. Jesus got Peter into the boat. Jesus climbs into the boat, and the storm is over. Unforgettable experience. What we don't see in the English translation is that there is another one of Jesus' I am statements in this passage. Just, just as they're scattered throughout the Gospel of John, these I am declarations of Jesus that we're looking at in this series. There's another one here. You say, I don't see it. I know. It's in verse 20. The English translation reads, it is I. But if you could read that in the original language in which it was written, what you would see is, I am. Literally, what Jesus said to the disciples was, I am. Don't be afraid. Meaning what? Well, the disciples get it. They do, because they are familiar with the story. They have known the story since they were children. The story of Moses standing before a bush that is ablaze with fire, but not being consumed by the fire. And a voice speaks to Moses from the bush. It is the voice of God calling Moses on a mission to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of their bondage in slavery to the Egyptians. And Moses had grown up in Egypt. He had left there under not good circumstances. He's not at all comfortable with the idea of going back. He's shaky about that. He's thinking he's not the best one for that mission. He's got some questions. One question is, suppose I go and I say to the Israelites, the God of your father sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What do I tell them? God's answer to Moses is, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am is the personal name by which God chooses to be identified. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. I am. I am who I am. What he's telling Moses is, when you go, just tell them I am sent you. And because I am who I am, and I am going with you, you're not on your own in this, and, and I am able to handle anything that you face, it's going to be okay. They know that story. They're very familiar with what happened. They know that because of that mission, their forefathers were delivered from bondage. And when Jesus says to them, in the midst of that raging storm, I am, they realize the one who spoke from that flaming bush is there with them. 
the I am is there. No cause to be afraid. Not if the I am is there with you in the storm. So what? That's the question we're asking in this series. What is the application for us? Obvious application for the disciples that night. But what about us? For us, it is this. You and I can live without fear. In a world that is filled with all kinds of of fearful, frightening situations, foreboding circumstances, and almost every day something else seems to erupt, and there's a myriad of anxieties with which people are struggling, you and I can live without fear. And not because we stick our head in the sand. Not that we are clueless about what's going on around us or, or that we're in denial or that we're pretending that it's different than it is. We can be fully aware of exactly what's going on and be without fear. And here's the reason. Jesus, the I am, is greater than any cause of fear. If you miss everything else this morning, that's the message. That's the takeaway. Jesus, the I am, is greater than any cause of fear. Think about this. That night, there in that storm, out there in that water, Jesus was physically present, which was great. But if you're a believer... If you've opened your heart to Jesus as your Savior and Lord of your life, then he's not just with you, he's in you. That's better. That's a lot better. On the eve of his crucifixion, he would say to those disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Listen to what he says next. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Think about that. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me. So if we're in him, and he's in the Father, then we're in the Father, and he's in us. Couldn't be more secure than that. The Christian life, listen, the Christian life is not you and me trying to be like Jesus. It's not it. It's way better than that. The Christian life is Jesus himself living in me, in you. It's Jesus living his life in you, which means whatever is happening are not happening, whatever it looks like or feels like, there's never a moment when he could be any more present. Let that sink in. Whatever's happening or not happening or whatever it feels like, if you've received Jesus into your life as your Savior and Lord, he doesn't come and go. He comes to stay. He comes to live in us, reside in us. And it means this, 
There's never a moment when he could be any more present. You say, well, I don't feel that. It's not a matter of feeling. Don't depend on feeling. Your feelings are not reliable. You do know that. You understand? Your feelings are not reliable. Your feelings are all over the place. They're up and down. You, you cannot depend on your feelings. We don't live on our feelings. We live on what is true. And what is true is he comes to live in you and there is never a moment from that moment forward, there is never a moment when he could be more present. Just really good news. The one who is I am who is greater than any cause of fear, has come to live in you so you and I can live without fear. Right? Right. Today's Father's Day. It's a good time to focus on this story because there come those moments in the life of every dad, or for that matter, in the life of every parent, mom or dad, when it feels like a storm. And maybe you see it coming and maybe you don't. Either way, you find yourself facing a situation in the life of your child that's bigger than you are. Whether your child's a preschooler or a preteen or a teenager or, or an adult. There comes a situation in the life of your child that's bigger than you are and it feels like a storm. I know. I know exactly how that feels. When our first son, who's John Jr., was born, uh, delivery was not easy, but it was, it was healthy and normal, and, and he was fine, and Mary Helen was fine after a while. She, she wouldn't have said she was fine too quickly, but <laughs> she was okay. John was okay. Three months of age, his pediatrician examined him and uh, told us that there was a hernia that could be easily repaired, and he recommended that it be done. And so on the strength of his recommendation to us, we scheduled the surgery. And uh, everything went fine, except they used ether for the anesthesia. And some of you already know that that is not something that's used anymore today for good reason because it, it's very difficult to control ether. And they did not control it well in John's case. And when John came out from under the effects of the anesthesia, he was different. We didn't understand why. It would be some time before we would understand that the ether had caused some degree of brain damage. And uh, as we were approaching uh, kindergarten and uh, getting him into kindergarten, we knew that John was, he had not developed on a par with his children of his same age. And we were told that we should have him evaluated and tested. And so we went to a children's psychologist and a bunch of tests were done. And after they had done the tests and, and uh, were ready to present the results to us, we sat across the desk from this psychologist and he explained to us that John's learning ability was so severely limited that it would be cruel 
of us to expect him to ever learn to read. There are other dire predictions, and everything just sort of turned into a blur for us. We walked out of that meeting bewildered, stunned, and it felt like a storm. But as we drove home, God spoke into our hearts, not with an audible voice like here in the storm we've just read about, but with an assurance that what we had just heard was not the final word. The one who is I am was greater than the prognosis we had been given. And uh, so we began, we didn't begin, we, we continued praying. And Mary Helen continued working with him. She has a degree as a, uh, in elementary ed and, and was teaching reading in school. And so she began using all the tools that, that she had. But most important was God did an amazing thing. And he did it through Mary Helen, but God did it. And the child who was not supposed to ever learn how to read, learned to read. And today, though there are other challenges in his life that we continue to pray about, his greatest strength is reading. He, he was able to read not just at, but above grade level. Jesus is greater than your storm. That's the point. Whatever your storm is, whatever it feels like, however overwhelming it may feel at this moment, Jesus is the I am, and he is greater than any cause of fear you say well okay I believe that but what are we supposed to do because we're in a storm right now or my marriage is in a storm right now our families we're in a storm and it's not looking good and I don't see much hope you just described what it was like that night in the boat. That's exactly the way the disciples felt. They had done everything they knew how to do. They were making very little progress, almost none. They were exhausted from the effort. Things were not looking good, and they didn't see much hope. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's why this story is so relevant to our lives. We can identify with those disciples. We know how it felt. It's how it feels. And maybe you even have some of the same questions I'm sure they were asking, such as, does Jesus know what we're going through? Does Jesus know what's happening out here? And the answer was and is yes. Yes, he did know, and yes, he does know. And in fact, Mark in his account of this, tells us that while they're out there on the water, Jesus is up on the mountain watching. He, he watches. They can't see him, but he never loses sight of them. In Mark chapter 6, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He sees what's happening. He's watching, not as some indifferent bystander, not as some
casual onlooker. He watches because he cares. And because he cares, he goes out to them on the water right through the storm. And when they're more terrified than ever, he says to them, I am. Don't be afraid. And he gets Peter back in the boat, and then he climbs in himself, and the wind stops. Imagine the relief. They've been battling for like nine hours. This storm is about to sink the boat and them with it, and suddenly the water just goes calm. Imagine the relief. Mark tells us they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. What? They had not understood about the loaves. What has that got to do with this? A lot. What it means is they had not connected the dots. Less than 24 hours earlier, they had experienced the miraculous power of God to take a handful of food and multiply it to feed thousands and have leftovers. They hadn't connected that same power with the ability to calm the storm. They were amazed that the storm ceased. They hadn't connected the dots. Listen. Jesus is the I am, and he's greater than any storm that you or I could ever face. The one who could multiply the loaves has no problem calming the storm. What are we supposed to do? Understand about the loaves. In other words, recognize what God has already done. Connect the dots. Realize what God has already done in your life. You've seen it. You know it. The one who did that is just as able to handle the storm you're in right now. He's the I am. I am. I can just reach in my pocket and be reminded of the fact that Jesus is greater than any situation I could ever face. I have this little pocket Leatherman, which you can't see very well unless, you know, there's a close-up. It's a wonderful little tool. It opens up and becomes a pair of scissors. And uh, there are three screwdrivers inside here and a knife blade and a pair of tweezers and other cool stuff. What makes this really valuable to me is that my younger son, Chris, gave this to me. I think it was a Father's Day gift some years ago which is what made it a great loss to me when it was taken from me. Mary Helen and I had been out in Long Beach and were returning to Tulsa. We'd gone to, uh, we'd gotten our bags checked in and we're going through the uh, metal detector. It wasn't quite as invasive then as it is now, but you had to take everything out of your pockets and put it into a bowl. And as I did so, I discovered my Leatherman was in my pocket. I had meant to pack it in the suitcase. I knew there was no way they'd let me on the plane with this. So Mary Helen went on to the gate, and I went back to the ticket counter to plead my case. And, of course, the bags were already gone, no way to get it into the suitcase. So I explained to the, the attendant at the counter, who was a, a very nice lady who was very understanding, 
And I said, my son gave me this, and it's very valuable to me, and I, I don't want to lose it. I said, could you just mail it to me? And she explained that she was not allowed to do that, that it was against policy. They were not permitted to do that for passengers. And so realizing that I was running out of time, the plane was actually waiting for me. I was the last one to board. I was out of options. There was nothing I could think of. And so with really a, a heavy heart, I asked her, are you married? And she said she was. And I said, then, would you give this to your husband so that it's not just thrown away? It's too valuable to be thrown away. She said she would. I hurried to the gate. Mary Helen was wondering what in the world was going on. We got on the plane. I explained to her what had happened. She just bowed her head and she said, Lord, would you overrule this situation and restore John's Leatherman to him? We flew home. Two days later, a brown envelope with an American Airlines label on it was in our mailbox. I opened it. There was no note. But there was my Leatherman. That may seem very inconsequential to you, but it was huge to me. Whatever your storm is, no matter how menacing, threatening, and foreboding, and overwhelming, and disappointing, whatever it is, He's greater. Understand about the loaves. Recognize what God's already done. I can just reach in my pocket and be reminded that Jesus is greater than the situation. He is. Connect the dots. I, I don't know what you're facing right now. I do know that God has already demonstrated his ability to meet the need. So connect the dot. Maybe you're a, a new dad. Maybe this is your first Father's Day to be a dad, which makes it a wonderful, special day. Or maybe you're an expectant dad. You and your wife are expecting your first child. And you're wondering, have I got what it takes? Am I able to bring this child up the way it should be done? Jesus says to you, I am, I'm able, and I am with you, so don't be afraid. I'm in you. Don't be afraid. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're already a dad, but you're a new Christian. Or you've made a new commitment to following Jesus with all your heart. And, and the most important thing to you is that your children would, would grow up to know and love the Lord. And you're wondering... How do I go about that? I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. Jesus says, I am. I'm able to lead you in becoming the dad that I've intended you to be. Don't be afraid. Whatever your situation, Jesus is now and forever will be the I am who is greater than any cause of fear. In fact, he's already overcome any and everything that could stir fear in your heart. He's already overcome it, including death. 
the ultimate cause of fear. Jesus has already overcome even death. Moments before he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, Jesus spoke these words, I am. It's another one of the I am's. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never truly die at all. Listen, if Jesus has overcome death itself, and he has, and if death itself cannot separate you and me from him, and it can't, then what is there for those who are in him to fear? There's nothing. Not one thing. And so on this Father's Day, I, I want to give you three things to put into practice. And whether you're a dad or not, you can remember these with the word dad. First of all, don't let fear rob you. Don't let fear rob you of what God wants to do in your life. That's what fear will do. It will rob you of what God wants to do in your life. Peter was walking on water until fear took over. Don't let fear rob you. No wonder the Scripture commands us more than, than with any other command. The most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. I often ask people, do you know what's the most frequent command in the Bible? And they'll, you know, maybe take a guess at it. Maybe, you know, love your neighbor, something. That's a good guess. But the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. 366 times it occurs. That's one for every day of the year, even in leap year. Don't let fear rob you. Jesus, the I am, says to you and to me, don't be afraid. Secondly, acknowledge your need. Just acknowledge your need. Peter had no difficulty acknowledging his need as he was about to go under. Just acknowledge your need. Here's a wonderful prayer to pray. Very simple. You can remember it easily. Lord, I cannot, but you can. It's a wonderful prayer. In fact, let's practice that. Would you just say those words with me out loud? Ready? It's on the screen. Say it with me. Lord, I cannot, but you can. It's good. And it's true. Whatever it is that it, to you is just bigger than you could imagine. And it's threatening and it's scary and you're facing it right now head on. Just put that in the blank. Lord, I cannot, and just name it. Lord, I cannot, but you can. And when we will acknowledge our limitation, we open ourselves to his more than enough sufficiency. He's able. He's the I am. And then third, depend on Jesus. Day in, day out, in the storm or out of the storm, we need him just as much when there isn't a storm as we do when there is a storm. 
And if you are depending on Him and the storm comes, He will either calm the storm or calm you in the midst of it. So don't let fear rob you. Acknowledge your need. Depend on Jesus. He's the I am. And He's greater than any cause of fear. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are the I am. And there's nothing that we're facing now or ever could face that's too big for you. No matter how scary it might seem, you're the I am and you are greater. And I pray that truth would not just be information that we have in our heads, but that it would sink deeply into the core of our being and free us from every fear today, tomorrow, or in the tomorrows to come, because you're the I am. Now, with heads still bowed, it may be you're here today without having ever opened your heart to Jesus. And if that's you, no matter what else you are facing or whatever the situation, the most important step you can take is to ask Jesus into your life, to take him into your life, just like the disciples took him into the boat that night. Take him into your life. And if that's the desire of your heart, you just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I believe you died on that cross to pay for my sins. I turn my back on sin and I ask you into my life. I trust you to be my Savior, my forgiver, Lord of my life. And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.